This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Pip Drysdale. Welcome to Better Reading, or welcome back to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. You've been here, this is your second podcast with us? It is. My last one was ages ago, though. Yeah, like, pre-COVID. Yeah, just before. Yeah. Is the world measured in pre and post-COVID now, do you think? I feel a little bit. Like, none of us are the same, man. No, <laughs> like, that's different, right? <laughs> okay, we'll find out what you did in COVID, because I think you've been writing. Okay, Pip is a best-selling author, musician and actor. She grew up in Africa, Canada and Australia, and has lived in London and New York. People tell me that I travel a lot, but I don't think I travel as much as you. Her debut novel, The Sunday Girl, was a bestseller, as was her second novel, The Strangers We Know, which is being adapted for television. Congratulations. Thank you. Her latest novel, The Next Girl, is a dark and twisty thriller that's promising young women, which is a movie, meets High Fidelity, which is a book and movie. And it's Nick Hornby, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah you read that one. Yeah. Is the first line in, the, in that book, My Life is an Island? Or is that another I line? I don't think so. I read it actually while I was writing yeah. this because there's so many music references in this book. I wanted yes. to see, like remind myself how he had done it. He's starting out, and no, I think it starts with a list. I think it starts with the five women who have broken my heart, and then he lists them. I think it's, I think, right. from memory, yeah. that's how it starts. Yeah, yeah. So I want to, I want to talk about you and how you came to writing. Okay, cool. So I was always writing something. I mean, yeah. creativity has always been a major part of my life ever yeah. since I was a little kid. And I actually did try writing a novel when I was a very little girl, but that didn't work out. It wasn't quite as easy as I anticipated. Yeah. And so <laughs> I kind of gave that up. Um, and then I cycled through everything else. I was really into art and then I Wait, was... So you went to uh, high school and then did yeah. you... So I went to high school and... Yeah. Then after that, I went to, well, after that, I... In Sydney? No, no, no. That was in um, Africa. That was in Zimbabwe. Wow. Okay. Um, at, well, Melbourne and Zimbabwe. And then I decided I wanted to be an actress and ended up in New York doing a lot of really bad low-budget movies and, um, and some awful How easy is it to Broadway. get work over there? Oh, you mean as an actress or... Yeah. Oh, bloody hard. Yeah. I mean, like, I was also a, like a waitress hostess and I was also working in an investment bank yeah. in the presentations department. But, I mean, like, it was my dream at the time, you know, and I loved it and I'm so grateful for the experiences, especially, you know, when it came to writing this book because this is based in New York. And so if I hadn't spent like three years there in my early 20s, I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have had the same stuff to put into it. And it's like I put Billy, the main character of The Next Girl, in my apartment. So I knew that apartment intimately and yes. um, 
Ironically, it was across the road from the hospital where John Lennon died and a couple of doors down from where Miles Davis lived when he first um, moved to the city. So it was perfect thematically. I feel like it was super formative and I'm really grateful for that time. Definitely super formative. So yeah. tell me why why you were travelling back and forward from um, there was South never, Africa uh, to Melbourne. So uh, Well, that was because we moved... Oh, my God, such a, such a long and windy story. Um, well, first of, all, <laughs> first of all, um, we moved to Canada because my parents wanted to from leave. where from South Africa because right. my parents wanted to leave and yes. so I started talking in Canada you actually I have some tapes somewhere um of me talking in my Canadian accent about my milk and cookies. Um, wow. How that old were you? I, I don't know. How old are you when you start to, start to talk? I must have oh, been like... Oh, three or four. No, no, no. Younger. Oh, like, younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like maybe one till three or something. Right. Like around that sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, then my mum got pregnant and decided it was way too cold. So um, we went back to um, South Africa for, I think, a year or so. And then they wanted to leave again. So we moved to Australia. Right, okay. And, and Melbourne. That was Melbourne. Yeah. And then when I was 14, my dad really just missed his family and everything. So we went back to Zimbabwe for four years. And then Zimbabwe um, How did went you bad. find that? Um, I mean, with the move? Yeah, well, as a 14-year-old, that's hard. formative, isn't it? Hard, yeah. I found both of those hard. I mean, I think the seven-year-old one was really hard and so was the 14-year-old one. I think both of them were really formative Was times. the seven-year-old not more of an adventure? I just want to be mm. where my parents are? No? You'd think, but literally, I like... I really suffered from stress when right. we moved. Yeah. Like I, I was a delicate little thing. I still am. Did quite you delicate. at seven? Did you have an awareness of why you were moving? No, not really. No, I was yeah. just super amped that there might be koalas in every tree, which they were not. Which yes. was super. <laughs> and also, where were the kangaroos? Okay, because yes, like yeah. that was what had sold me yeah. on this whole move. Well, you know, Pip. I mean, people <laughs> still think that. Yeah. Some Americans still think <laughs> that so when funny. they come to Australia, <laughs> and they, you know, they rock up. It's Sydney City and they can't find a kangaroo. And they're like, what's going on? Mm-mm. Yeah. So you didn't really have a sense at seven of why you were moving, but no, no. you didn't want to move? No. Okay. Um, but we did move. So then after Zimbabwe, um, it was back to Australia because Mugabe obviously was yeah. a very bad thing. And um, did you have a sense of that then? Yes, of course. So at that point, like I was like, what, 19 by the time oh, we okay, moved? Oh, okay, It was 14 when we moved yes. to Zimbabwe and yeah. totally I understood that. I wasn't happy about it, but I got it. And then when I was 19, of course, I moved yeah. back to Australia and then shortly What about after in that, terms of friendship? Um, it was tough. Yeah. Really, really tough. Fourteen's like, tough. I don't know if my parents could have moved me away from my friends at 14. At yeah. seven, I, don't, I just, I don't think I had an awareness. I probably yeah. wasn't as aware as you are. But at 14, I think I would have kicked and screamed. Yeah, I was not pleased. No. And also it was quite interesting. Like, you know, um, I fully remember moving and having to kind of like, you know, you're starting a new school and everyone knows each other. Mm. And I, I completely remember having to almost become a different kind of person mm. in order to... Because you're reinventing yourself. I had to reinvent myself to survive. Like, yeah. And um, what accent did you have by then? Oh, no, I still had my Australian one at that point. So, you see, it was all... Like, yeah. when I moved to um, Australia, I had a South African one, so there was teasing around that. And then yes. there was then once I moved back to Zimbabwe from Australia, it had become Australian, so then there was teasing around that. I mean, like, honestly, it was not a good... 
<laughs> not good. But yeah, I mean, Zimbabwe was really interesting and I do still have friends from there, which were great. And I that was also very formative. So yeah, getting back to your original question about writing, I, I guess... Was that my original question? Yeah. I was sitting here going, how did we get here? <laughs> I'm joking. I was like, what am I like? <laughs> yeah. So after acting, I then moved back to... Um, it. I was actually living in um, New York when 9-11 happened. Oh, and, wow. Um, and where were you? I, um, I was across the river because like all the trains went into... Um, the World Trade Center. But after that happened, I stayed there for, I'd say, maybe a year, like so maybe a little longer. So do you longer. think that, talk to me about that day. Okay, what about that day? Where were you? What were you thinking? Oh, my God. I um, I was at home. We were all glued to the television. Yeah, I was I was at home. I, along with most of New York, I was meant to be there because the World Trade Center was, it was kind of like a hub of transport so lots of things went in there including um the path train because I was I just moved in with a friend across the river in where was she Hoboken on Jersey City Heights but it was just like New Jersey but damn close right Right. and usually you caught the path train from there till the World Trade Center and I was supposed to be picking up photos across the street and I didn't go I I can't really remember if my alarm didn't go off or if I was just lazy that morning or what happened but I didn't go and I got out of bed because my friend who I was living with was like, your dad's on the phone and he's really upset. And so I went and got the phone and my dad was crying. And he, because um, he'd been trying to get through for ages and ages, but all the lines were busy. And then he told me. And so we turned on the TV and we saw the second plane crash. And I didn't understand at all what was going on. Like mm. my... Um, my roommate was older than me and she did get it. Like I was I was too young and naive. It didn't even occur to me for a moment that it wasn't just a mistake, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so um, I was there for about a year after that. What about in the following days after that? How are your movements? How are you? I mean, um, you know, could you leave your apartment? Yeah. I can't remember the exact timings, but I, I mean, I recall it as being like a couple of days before we were allowed to go into the city. I mean, I probably shouldn't. In he- in hindsight, I mean, I'm sure it was like full of toxicity and stuff. You probably should have stayed home, yeah. right? I think the city itself was so desperate mm. to become, to go back to normal, whatever yeah. that was, you know. Well, I was desperate to get back to normal. I mean, mm. I was in the gym, mm. on the treadmill, looking outside at the empty mm. streets. I don't really comprehend things straight away though mm. it always takes a process them. if it's big I will not even register it for a couple of months like it's almost like I'm fine and mm. while everyone else gets what's going on mm. and then a couple of months later I just completely break and I actually opened a play I was doing an awful Broadway um play that we opened I think it was four days afterwards mm. and it was full like it was a comedy it was called mm. Sleeping Beauty in Coma and um, it was full and it hadn't really hit me yet. Like, it just, I don't think it had hit anyone properly yet. Like, I don't know. Um, and what were you doing in that play? I was Sleeping Beauty. Oh, right. With so a very Cockney actor. accent. Right. <laughs> yeah. That was actually the last play I did. And then after that, I started um, playing music and I moved back to Australia and I went to... What music you like, play? 
I had always did like um, folk pop. So yeah. um, and I did that for years. Like, So were your around. parents creative? Were they? My dad was. Yeah. My dad was very creative. Like he was um, an engineer, but also my entire childhood is littered with, with memories of him playing music and like on the piano or the guitar and singing. And so and my aunt was a piano teacher and um, my mom's whole family is creative, although and she probably is, but I don't think she ever really um, realized. it. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think she was just like she just went the other way, you know, like yeah. she's too busy having fun with life. So, yeah, um, yeah. so after that, I came back to Australia and few I went to uni studied writing like creative writing so did you think then so my form of storytelling is going to be writing I thought it was going to be songs okay so I did that for years like touring around playing songs at festivals like that I thought that was going to be my mechanism and then I moved to London and I lived there for a while and then in 2015 why keep moving um I actually can't answer that for you yeah like I mean, can we ever really answer those questions about ourselves? Like, I could give you a lot of hypotheses. Give me one hypothesis. I don't know. Maybe it felt comfortable to me because I'd done it so much as a kid. Yeah. Maybe. Could it be? Could it be? I'm going to put this to you. Okay. Because, you know, um, my family, as you know, I think, are yeah. Lebanese Australian. Yeah. And so I feel that I don't have a sense of belonging. Yeah. Like, say, people that. I mean, I was born here, but yeah. my, I was certainly grew up more Lebanese than I did Australian. Yeah. So I have always thought that my belonging was very different to others. Yeah. Well, I definitely feel that. Like, it feels to me that I feel like partially I belong anywhere and partially I yeah. don't belong anywhere. And I can't figure out which one is more true because no matter where I am, I, d- I definitely feel like I belong. Like, I belong here, I belong in London, Do you I belong feel in New that? York. Yes, but I also always feel a little bit like an outsider. Mm. So, um, and I think that's part to do with all the moving. So you don't just have one place that you can have allegiance to. Mm. You have like split allegiance. There's actually Mm. a really good book, which I always recommend to people. I haven't read it for like 15 years, so I hope it's still good reading it like 15 years later. But it was called In the Name of Identity. It's actually by a Lebanese writer. Mm -hmm. And I had to read it at uni and it literally just opened my mind to seeing things differently. So, um, and he was talking about how when you're not from one place, your allegiance is split and your identity is somewhat split, you know? Mm. I think, oh, what was the question? My God, sorry. <laughs> the reason why you keep traveling. And so, and also, I think, you know, you get a taste for it and like there's a sense of possibility and anything could be different if you go somewhere else and like what if amazing things happen mm. and you know I, I and I think that there is definitely that side of my personality where I want I want amazing things it's like I find it very difficult to cope with day-to-day stuff ordinary yeah which I'm trying really hard to change millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I definitely haven't traveled as much as you have, but I do like traveling. And I don't know. I've been thinking about it because I've just come back from Europe. And I could have kept going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and now in a couple of months, I'm going to San Francisco again. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous. That sounds so exciting. Yeah, it is. I've been there 15 times. So, um, and I, it feels like second home to me. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco does. However, I often ask myself what it is that is so appealing about it. Yeah. And I think it's the shock of the new. Yeah. You know, it's... I love, love seeing how other people live. Yeah. I love people watching in a cafe. I love to see how culturally different people are. Yeah. My favourite, favourite thing when I'm travelling is when somebody invites me to their home. Oh, that would be amazing. Because you get a real feel of how people live. Yeah. Now, most people will invite you for a drink or a restaurant, but I'm always got my fingers crossed, oh, I hope they invite me to their home. I hope they invite me to their home. Because that then gives you a real feeling of the culture and the way it works you know it's you're you're no longer a tourist really and I try not to be a tourist I try to live and immerse in that culture yeah but I love it and I love even supermarkets yeah oh my god do you do that yeah I do but it's really interesting and hard to find things sometimes and also some of them are weird like in France I just go how does anyone eat fresh produce because this stuff is expensive like an apple is like three euro or something yeah yeah but also how big they are they're all supermarkets yeah. they're huge and the cheese section oh my god <laughs> and it's complicated and also fresh milk isn't a given no it's like very I, that's what i think is really interesting in france yeah. that they are just so big on dairy but they don't yeah. drink fresh milk i mean they yeah. do a little bit but it's very hard to find it's interesting isn't yeah it? yeah it is really interesting but you know i could walk down the street and i can sit somewhere and i can just be staring for hours just yeah. watching people I enjoy that a lot. It's probably also the unpredictability. Yeah. Like, you know, I think something does probably happen to your brain chemistry when you're thrust into a completely different environment and, like, you don't actually know what what the day is going to bring. And and it's kind of exciting and you feel alive. And Mm. And also, too, we take it for granted. Like, you know, when I walk out my front door in the morning, I know where, you know, if I turn left where I'm going and if I turn right where I'm going. Yeah. Well, sometimes when you leave your hotel room, you you don't don't have the faintest clue. (laughs) (laughs) You can walk or one or two you'll blocks. Get back. You can walk <laughs> one or two blocks before you know that you're going in the wrong direction. That's you know? so true. It is really interesting, isn't yeah. it? And do it. That's a, that must be a shock to our brain. Yeah, and I think maybe it's an enjoyable shock to the yes, brain. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, everything. I very, very rarely. Um, I, I've been lucky. I've had very, very few bad experiences. Yeah. Uh, I think too. You go with an open mind, and yeah. you get a great experience. And also, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm a chatterbox too. That's good though. So Especially I talk, the travel. Yeah, I talk to people. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. I talk to people and, and I get conversations going and, yeah, uh, you know, and, and that is interesting to me. I'm, you know, as you know, I run this podcast. Yeah. I like to listen. I like to hear people's story. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay, so we're back to you and travel. So where are you now? <laughs> You've come back to Australia. Then I went to London for a while. Ah, uh, right, yes. Um, and, and what did you think of that? I, I mean, oh, I, I, I love lived London. there. Yeah. yeah, I lived there for I think seven years in all, but I did go for like three years and come back to Australia for a bit, yeah. then go back again yeah. for another couple of years. And I loved it. I feel very at home in London. Um, I actually am a dual citizen, so it's oh, like wow. okay. I feel really at home there. Um, I've got a lot of really good friends there, and I feel that that city has changed so much because it was years yeah. and years. I lived there back in 1989. Yeah, and then when I went back, maybe 20 years later for the first time, it is complete about face like you know yeah so it's much. probably changed now even like I haven't been back since 2019 mm. so I have no idea what London is like mm. anymore well I was there a couple of months ago what is it like oh, it's, just, it's <laughs> still that it's still I think vibrant and yeah. funky and diverse but I think there's going to be some big financial problems I want to know what the cost of living is like because I'm like what is going on with, with Sydney's cost of living mm, not no. pleased London is 10 times worse is it really if okay. you think Sydney's expensive I found Paris cheap compared to London. Really? But I was always like that there. But anyway, I I mean, I think, you know, Brexit and all sorts of things, I've got a lot of sorting out to do. But still lovely. I mean, you know, you don't feel that day to day. But yeah, no, I I really liked it. Okay. All right. So you're back in London. Back in London. Still playing still playing music. And how are you earning money? Oh, at that point, um, I've had so many different jobs, Yeah, honestly. Yeah, you've got to work hard. Lots yeah. of different jobs yeah. to support myself while I was doing this. The first, actually, being a novelist this is the first time I've been a self-supporting creative. Like, I right. was, or I always had other jobs as well. Yeah. That's probably why I know so much about astrology, though, because there were always jobs I wasn't thrilled by, and so I'd Google a lot, and I'd Google <laughs> astrology, and now I'm, I'm like a full box... <laughs> I'm not understanding that. Really? No, tell me that Well, again. I like, I Googled it so that I started understanding all about like birth charts and like compatibility and now like, I mean, now it's kind of trendy to get like a guy's birth data and then try to do your compatibility with him. But I've literally been doing that for years. Wow. Okay. Like, okay. Does it work? Um, Yeah. It yeah. really does. <laughs> it really, really does. Right. I mean, like you kind of want it to not work, especially if you like the guy and you get a bad reading back. But it really does. I learned a lot about numerology that way. <laughs> At that point, I think I was working in an investment bank as well. I was working in the marketing department. And then I actually, I was there for a while. Isn't that just such a total contrast to creativity, yeah. working in an investment bank? You'd think, but I was in the marketing department. Yeah, okay. And All right, we'll give you them. that. <laughs> And also, I'll give you that. Yeah, but bless them, they didn't make me work very hard. Right, like, okay. honest to God, I feel like I just turned up, made coffee, chatted to some people, <laughs> like found a couple of pictures to use in adverts. Like, it wasn't a very hard job, so right. I have to give them that. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> wasn't difficult. And then after that, then in 2015, I wrote my first book. I started writing it on the weekends. In um, London? Yes. Oh, at that point. Oh, and I was a Pilates teacher after that. And oh, then wow. I started working at a property investment company, writing their copy, like, you know, for advertising yes. materials on different suburbs in London and stuff. So have you had as many jobs as you have visited as many countries? Yeah, I've had a lot of jobs, hey. Yeah. Like, and very okay. diverse jobs yeah. as well. But it's really useful for writing because yes. 
I have so many jobs to give my characters yeah. that I You've have an them. understanding yeah. of, right? Yeah. In yeah. fact, I find actually a lot <laughs> that of is good. <laughs> a lot of life experience is actually just so good once you become a writer. Because I agree. I agree because I often, you know, I've interviewed so many writers. I think yeah. it's well over four hundred now. Yeah. Um, and those that there are a lot of writers that just don't get out much, you know, yeah. because it's a solitary occupation it's and very solitary. Write, and they've been in a in a kind of uh, box for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and then there are others like you that yeah. have to work really hard at making money to support the writing. And yeah. so they've got a lot of experience. Yeah. I mean, like, that was the one thing is that because I don't at the moment need a job, like I do support myself writing. Yeah. I've actually, I found that that was fine for the first two years of doing it. But after that, I was like, I actually need to make a conscious effort to be out getting into the world and like living my life as well as writing books. Because otherwise, I'm not going to have enough to put into it, you know? Like, That's right. So now I really make an effort to do that, which is hard sometimes. I'm a bit of an introvert. Yeah. Like, a delicate So <laughs> do you go, I mean, I do this, um, yeah. not to write because I don't write, but just, you know, to learn and yeah. to have stories in my head. I sit in parks sometimes and I watch people and behaviour and families. Do you do that? Not so much, but I do take up a lot of hobbies that my characters have. And then as a result of those hobbies, I meet people through them and I talk to people through them and I develop relationships that way. And I mean, I do find that a lot of the things I become interested in are not random. They're kind of things I'm fascinated by because they're feeding into something I'm working on, right? Like when I was writing The Next Girl, for example, I got very into vinyl. So I spent a lot of time at vinyl record stores talking to people and researching that stuff. Oh my God, totally. It's really (laughs) interesting. (laughs) I um, (laughs) bless. Like I actually asked a guy who worked in a record store. um, I was like, can you just like send me a quick little email giving me a vague rundown of what you do on a daily basis, just so Mm -hmm. I can make sure about a couple of things within my book, right? Yeah. And he, um, honestly, he sent me back these long paragraphs that I swear could have been a novel in themselves. They were so good. Yeah, I was thinking wow. you are you are like missing your calling. Like you could have written the next high fidelity. Right. Like, it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Like, fantastic. <laughs> and are people generous with things like that when mostly, you ask them? Yeah, mostly. Mostly. I mean, sometimes they're weird about it and then yeah. you just go, and that's okay. You yeah. just go and ask someone else or you Google it. or Because the problem is a lot of the time when you're asking questions, you don't know if they're dumb questions or not because no. you don't know enough about the subject matter when you're asking the question, right? Because it's yeah. at the beginning. Once you get a little further in, you know what the dumb questions are and you don't ask yeah. them, right? Yeah. So um, so it's research, um, modern fiction research rather yeah. than historical fiction yeah, research, Yeah, so it's right? like on the ground research, like yes. a lot of immersive research yeah. I do. Okay, so tell me, you the person that's got the idea, so it's the next goal, you've yeah. got the idea. So how do you approach that? Do you do a little bit of on the ground research? At what point do you start writing? And are you a disciplined writer? Hmm. Mm. Lots of questions there. It's quite a hard thing to answer those honestly because it's slightly different for each book, right? Okay. And I would love to just give you one answer and it'd be true. Yeah. But I feel like I will be lying if I do that. But I can tell you, for example, with this one how I did it, right? And that will be different for other books. With this one... I started with the general premise of it and I knew I was going to base it in New York for a couple of reasons because I knew New York and also I was stuck in WA, like Western Australia, while I started this book. and In lockdown? Yeah, and usually... Well, all the borders were closed so I couldn't get out and I couldn't go to New York. What were you doing there? 
Well, I was visiting my parents. Ah, uh, okay. Because I, I was planning on going overseas again and then the borders closed. Okay, got it. And so because of that, I was basing it in New York because I knew it so intimately and also I was yearning for New York being stuck mm. there. So that kind of it sort of guided me quite a lot. And then some stuff happened and I started thinking, well, I really want to include music in this book because I think that that can be a really binding influence between people, you know, and it's something that will link you to people, you know, Mm -hmm. long after they're gone. And so that's where that aspect came in. And it's kind of an organic process. Like I was talking to someone about this the other night. I know a lot of writers who write, for example, from the beginning till the end of their first manuscript and that'll take three months and then they'll go in and do a lot of the rewrites. Absolutely. It's not how I work at all. Like I'll start and I'll do a couple of chapters and then I'll go over them again, adding more layers and then and I'll go a little bit further. Then I go over it all again, go a little bit further, go over it again, go a little bit further. So by the time I get to the end of my first draft, it's basically submission worthy. Because right. I've gone as over it so many, yeah, 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 as I've gone. And that's yeah. not to say that there aren't editors who then come in and make it oh, tremendously better. Yeah. But I couldn't get, mainly I think it's because I couldn't write 90,000 words that I wasn't excited by and then read them again. Yeah. I'd literally throw it in the bin. Yeah. So I have to make it that they're 90,000 words that I'm excited by, even if they're not perfect. Yeah. I know that they are like my best 90,000 words yeah. at that point. And do you do that in a way where you get up at nine o'clock and start writing and don't finish till five? Or do no, you give definitely yourself, not. Do you give yourself a word count? Um, no. no. What I do is I wake up and put on coffee and start writing. And yeah. I do that every single day, with the exceptions of Sundays at the moment, because I'm trying to not do Sunday mornings, but I do do Sunday nights. So yeah. still every day, I suppose. Um, and then depending on the where I am in the book and how tricky it is or how much I don't really know what should come next, maybe I go for a walk and I come back and do a bit more. Maybe I think about things or do research for ages and then do a little bit more. Maybe I, you know, I definitely don't have a nine to five mentality because I tried that once and it worked out very badly for me. Um, I think you could feel the misery (laughs) pulsing off me on the page. So I try to keep it fun for me. And if that means like I work for an hour and then I go and watch a a TV show, that's fine. And then I come back and I'm excited to do it again, you know. And sometimes I do 14 hours at a stretch or 16 hours at a stretch and I do that for days on end and then I'm exhausted. And sometimes it'll be two hours a day for two weeks. And, you know, it changes a lot, but the books get written. So I feel like by giving myself a little bit of space to not rush it and not force the words onto the page, I actually end up with a better book because often... I need the space between things in order to kind of decide what good I, what are good ideas and what are bad ideas. Yep. Otherwise, I just head down a road and end up having to throw out 20,000 words. Yep. Okay. Well, we're out of time, lovely Pip. Oh, no. Oh, we are. I know. Pip Drysdale, thank you so much for our chat today. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, 
join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.